along with his wife, Anne. They run three Bible colleges in the Fiji Islands, Indonesia and India. They also operate two Christian schools in Fiji and India, a medical clinic. They reach out into about a dozen Asia-Pacific nations with the gospel via their teaching ministry, including Australia. That's where they're kind of headquartered. Andrew was with us many years ago. I don't know how long it's been now, but I still remember his teaching and what a gifted teacher he is. And I know that he's going to be a blessing to you. So we're going to turn the rest of the service over to him. He's going to share with you a little bit about what they're doing. Thank you, Pastor Steve. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, so we'll just quickly run through. The uh, our ministry is called App Foundation, Asia Pacific Trust. Yes, over the last uh, 22 years, the Lord has enabled us to pioneer these three Bible colleges, Fiji, Indonesia, India, as Pastor Steve correctly pointed out, and uh, has started a Christian school in Fiji and in North India. And then I... When, when I was here last, Pastor Steve, my then wife, uh, she's now with the Lord. Uh, that happened about in 2007. And 2010, I married Anne. And uh, I used to live in Brisbane, Australia. And Anne was from Adelaide, Australia. And uh, she gave up working there as an architect to go back to India and start a project for children from the slums. And that's how I met her when I was ministering in India. If she was still in Adelaide, I would never have met her because Brisbane to Adelaide is like Virginia Beach to Houston, Texas. So that's how we reconnected. But we were part of the same Assemblies of God church as young people. She was nominated by the American missionary couple from Richmond, California to be the president of the youth when I was still a frivolous young man. All this changes, I'm older now. <laughs> well, we did say that we have the three Bible schools, two Christian schools... In Romans 12, we, now we've heard of the nine gifts of the Spirit in Galatians 5, the nine fruit of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians. Are you, are you with me? But in Revelation 12, 6 through 8, there's a listing of seven ministry gifts or motivational gifts. And for paucity of time, I'll just touch on what they are right now. If you read it through at home, there's the ministry. This is not the nine gifts of the Spirit. You with me? The ministry of motivational gift of prophecy, teaching, administration, mercy, exhortation, serving, and giving. Every single one of us, from the time we are conceived in our mother's womb, have certain strengths. Uh, God has endued us, imbued us with certain gifts and strengths. But by the same token, if we're really honest, we have certain weaknesses. Now, let me be, I'll share my weakness too in case you think I'm sounding immodest. Two of my weaknesses are not communication or logistics. Those are strengths of mine. But one of my strengths is not patience. That's, I can't stand being backed up behind someone who's really slow. We all, if we are honest, we all of us have certain strengths and certain Weaknesses. Now, these are seven ministry gifts that we, uh, from birth, and you'll recognize now, okay, that's one of my, oh no, that's not one of my strengths. Let me give you an example with these seven motivational gifts. You can check it out at home, Romans 12, 6 through 8. Prophecy, teaching, administration, mercy, exhortation, serving, giving. Let's say I was thirsty, and there wasn't water here, and I wanted a glass of water, and I asked 12-year-old Jane to just get me a glass of water from the kitchen. So she goes, she takes a styrofoam cup, fills it with water, she comes here, on the way she trips on the stairs and spills it. Now here's what you are thinking. We are not mindless automatons. 
we do have thoughts. The prophetic motivated person, you know, black and white, no mercy, like, Jenny, come on, girl, you should have known better than that. In the middle of the teaching, you go and spill this thing, you create a mess, you, you, you interrupt the service, there's no mercy. The prophetic motivated ones have the least mercy. Now, if you think like that, well, then you, just in case you thought to be a prophet was cool, they can also be merciless. All right? All right, now just stay with me. Then comes the teacher. I'm very strongly a teacher. That's, of these seven, that's my main gift to him. Here's what a teacher's thinking. Jenny, look at me, girl. Look, look in my eyes. Next time, hold the cup with both hands. And where were your eyes stuck? Look in front of you when you walk next time. Because I want to make sure, I mean, I may not be that offhandish about it, but I want to teach the child that you don't make that mistake again. That's the, the heart of a teacher. Teachers, too, don't have all that much mercy. Remember all the detentions you got in school? Then you have the administrator who says, what's everybody sitting around doing nothing? It's like, you know, Tom, can you go and get some paper towels and clean up that mess? And then you have Mary who comes and says, come on, Jenny, don't worry. Sweetie. The administrator says, you do this, you do that, go and get... You say, oh no, I would never bark out orders. Well, that's your weakness. And that's somebody else's strength. And that's okay. That's an administrator. Then you have the mercy-motivated person, somebody named Mary, a lady who comes and says, sweetheart, just come sit with me. Just, I'll sit with you. Put your arm around her. Because Janie is flushed and she's embarrassed. Those are the mercy-motivated persons. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You say, nah, that's not me. That's kind of nabby pam Well, that's your weakness. Then you have the Gift of exhortation. The exhorter says, Jenny, don't worry, sweetheart. You didn't even spill coke. It's not going to hurt the cop. It's just water. And look, you didn't even spill any in your jeans. Your exhortation. We all often think, exhortations, thus saith the Lord, get thine act together or thou shalt, you know. No, an exhorter is an encourager, a builder upper. David said of God in the Psalms, thou art my glory and the lifter up of my head. God is the greatest exhorter of all. He lifts us up. When I am down, you pick me up. That's an exhorter. By the way, I look for those kind of people to be my friends. I don't need someone to put me down underwater again. I need someone who'll encourage me, who'll see the best in me. An exhorter, builder-upper. So that's a tremendous gift in the body. Just in case you still thought that to be a prophet was the most cool thing. Now I've left the two best for the end. It's getting better, right? You have the server. This, now, this is not a strength of mine. I need to work on it. I'm being honest with you. The server, without being asked, Pastor Steve, goes to the kitchen, gets a couple of paper towels, comes here on their knees and cleans up the mess. The server, I'll tell you who is the server. I'm not sure if you have it in this church, but many times after the service, you have a place for tea and coffee and cookies. You know, we say little old ladies were serving. You mark my words, those little old ladies, the mansions they're going to get in heaven will sink some of our pastors and teachers' mansions. Because God is nobody's debtor. And we take them for granted. I respect deeply, greatly, servants in the body of Christ. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself said, you want to be great in my kingdom, you be the servant of all. But then comes number seven, the giver. The giver, without being asked, goes to the kitchen, gets another styrofoam cup, fills it with water, and says, Pastor Andrew, here's your cup of water. I ask you, my friends, what did I ask for in the first place? A cup of water. Who got the job done? The prophet with thus saith the Lord? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Or the Australians say, Don't, you look like stunned mullets when I ask that question. 
Did the prophet with his prophecy get the job done? Did the teacher with Greek and Hebrew get the job done? It was the giver who got the job done. I submit to you, this morning we're going to study on giving. By the way, what is the most well-known and most oft-quoted verse in scripture? Talk to me, I'm a teacher. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he prophesied. Are you with me? That he gave. The essence of the nature of Almighty God is that he is a giver. Just in case we never thought about John 3.16 like that before. So on page one. That's the introduction. The motivational gift of giving from Romans 12, 6 through 8. Giving is one of the seven motivational gifts. Characteristics of a giver. Dependency on your spouse's counsel to confirm the amount of the gift. Now notice I said checking with your spouse. Let's just say there's a special offering for a youth summer camp. Pastor Steve makes the announcement. Usually the ladies are more generous than the men. And the wife thinks, yeah, let's do a $50 special offering. This is once a year. The husband says, nah, 20 bucks is enough. At least talk to each other. I submit to you, you go with the average, the median, or you go with the higher figure, which is even better. You say, oh, but I'm single, what do I do? Let's say you're single, you're thinking, mm, yeah, 50 bucks. Then you think, nah, that's a bit much, 30 bucks. I would say to you, the first number was God, the second is your flesh. I like that, you're coming, you're tuning into me. And by the way, notice I said if you're married, check with your spouse. I didn't say check with your partner. I didn't say live with your de facto. Hello? I don't care what any government on earth thinks. If it violates the word of God, you're in deep trouble. So you can get that sorted out by talking with your pastor after the service is done. Okay. Check with it. B, if you're a giver, you will have a desire to feel a part of the work or the person you give to. If I were that young man with the check shirts getting my attention, what's your first name, sir? Phil. Okay. If I were to ask Phil, I'm just picking on you, Phil. You look, you're smiling. He's... So, Phil, what's your home church? And let's assume he says, what would you say? Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Now, I'm just picking on him, right? If you dare, I'm just picking on him, any one of us dare to make that, respond in such a manner. So, Lighthouse is my home church, and I don't tithe here. I ask you, on what authority do you do that? On what authority do you make that claim? If you don't tithe here, and I'm just starting, give me both the sessions. If I don't tithe here, then I'm just a visitor. Oh, but I come often. Well, then you're a regular visitor. Thank you, Phil, for letting me use that. He's in good shape. You know how even the world says, put your money where your mouth is. Your mouth just said, Lighthouse, my home church. I haven't even given you a scripture yet. Just wait till that comes. So you feel a part of the work. You have a right, this is my church. Come with me to my church. Lighthouse is my church. And see, beware of the control element. And just in case, let's say, brother, you play the keyboard, let's say God's blessed you, you're a successful businessman, and you're putting good money in the tithes, you know, maybe 20% of the tithes is from your business. Does that mean that in the church bulletin, your name has to be there next Sunday, or else, Pastor Steve, you're going to find out about That's a control element. Beware of the control element. Well, because of that, you ought to have me be an elder in the church. My dear friend, our giving is to be as under the Lord and not as the man. Do you really, really want your, your, your blessing on earth? I'd rather have it in heaven. I'd rather have a better mansion there, you know, for all eternity. 
types of giving. You can share material things. You can share spiritual gifts. And one of the ways of doing that, by the way, let me put a plug in for the helps ministry, is to volunteer to serve in the children's ministry. And if you're a single lady or a single guy, volunteer. Change the diapers. And you watch God bring the right person along when you're changing someone else's baby's diaper. You can share finances from your wages. And we're going to teach more on that. Tithes, offerings, arms. And D, you can share yourself. You know, we used to sing a chorus. I'm a little dated now. I'm 55. We used to sing a chorus. Here am I, holy available. Why do we sing lies sometimes? Because the pastor has to keep on putting a plug. We need nursery workers. We need people to help the Sunday school. I just thought you sang, here am I wholly available. No, I'm not. I'm only wholly available to do what I want to do. Is it okay? By the way, let me put a, a, a little caveat here. A pa- he, pastor Steve is pa- called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a teacher of the word. A pastor's job is primarily to comfort the afflicted. But I'm not a pastor, I'm a teacher. A teacher's job is primarily to afflict the comfortable. Example of a giver. From all my study of scripture, the greatest human example of a giver is Abraham. I can't find anyone to eclipse him. Like Abraham, well, I know he had a son through Hagar, the slave woman whose name was Ishmael, who was the father of the Arabs, who's given the Israelites a real hard time. But from his own wife, he had but one child, a son. The child of promise, Isaac. I have but one child, a son. Now I can say, Pastor Steve, I love you in the Lord, but you got better believe I ain't going to give my son's life for you. And I wouldn't expect you to give your children or grandchildren's lives for me, true or false. But God so loved the world. He loved every wretch like me that he gave his only begotten son. Such love is incomparable on human terms the only person we find that is willing to sacrifice his son Abraham his son Isaac I cannot wrap my head around that now let me share this with you Abraham he is snuck out of the tent early one morning I am convinced he never told his wife Sarah or she would have put him to sleep he snuck out with Isaac couple of donkeys or mules, whatever they had, donkeys and a couple of male servants. And when he got to the bottom of Mount Moriah, listen closely, he told his servants this, tarry ye here a while. You guys hang out down here while the lad and I go up yonder to worship. What was Abraham going to do with his son? In his mind, what was he going to do? Sacrifice is the word. But you know what he told his servants? We are going to have a worship session with Jehovah God. Let me submit to you, my friends. Real giving. Genuine giving. Sacrificial giving. Is an act of worship. I ask you now, I know the tithes and offerings have been taken. Have you truly worshipped God this morning? If not, chase after the gushes before you leave. My God, I want to worship you with part of my life, my blood, my sweat. This life you gave me.
I will not leave here without worshipping you. Did you know that 20% of Christians do 80% of the giving? And that means all up, let's say, between first and second service, if there's 100 working units, only 20 of them this morning are going to do anything significant. The others are just sneezing as the bag comes by. The sad thing, the beauty of it is, our ushers are so gracious that if we put nothing, they just allow it to go by without making us feel bad. So gracious. Don't tell me, Brother Andrew, you don't know my situation. I can't tithe. I have financial problems. This is my friend. I grew up in Asia. I couldn't even afford a train ticket like from here to Baltimore to give you a picture. I cut my side of my left foot past Steve as a little boy because I was playing with a little rubber ball, soccer. I cut it on a broken glass bottle that was thrown over the side of the, of the neighbor's wall. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't you ever tell me that you have financial problems living in the United States, whether you were born here or migrated here. If you think you've got financial problems, meet me in the lobby. I'll personally take two minutes to laugh in your face. Even people on welfare have checks of rammed down their throats by our government. You couldn't starve if you tried in this country. Can I keep teaching? A teacher's job is to afflict the comfortable. It's not a financial problem. If we're not tithing, it's a spiritual root that needs to be uprooted. And I believe the Holy Spirit is using his crowbar or pickaxe to uproot that root. Tithing, it's a golden thread running through every book of the Bible. And nowhere is it an indication that it's the end. It is just the beginning. It is the minimum, not the maximum. There are three prevailing positions on biblical finances on tithing. One, Poverty theology, two, stewardship theology, and three, prosperity theology. Now, I don't think many of us would espouse to a poverty theology. I could shoot that down quickly, even though the Lord Jesus was born in a stable. You know, there were a couple of wise men that came, a few wise men came. By the way, quick question, how many wise men came to see the baby Jesus? The Bible never says how many wise men came, but it lists three gifts. See, when you're listening to a teacher... It never says how many wise men. But it says gold, frankincense. And he said, oh, I've been a believer for a long time. I didn't realize that. Well, you just did now. Gold, frankincense, and mercy. Just imagine as a little child, somebody comes and puts a lump of gold at your feet. That'd be enough to take him and his uh, stepbrothers and sisters to university probably. Okay, just a thought. Now, then you have stewardship theology and prosperity theology. I would like to try and uh, illustrate the difference between stewardship and prosperity. First up, stewardship means nothing belongs to me. Everything in here, credit cards, and I'll talk about credit cards. You only use one if you have the money to pay it off in full. If not, I'll use a pair of scissors and cut it up for you if you don't have the self-will. Hello. Don't look at me in that tone of voice like something's wrong with me. You're sucked into TV's thinking. I'm sucked into the Word of God's thinking. Hello. Oh, some of you are still looking at me like I'm a Martian or something. Stewardship means everything belongs to God. I'm his steward or stewardess, his servant. So allow me to illustrate the difference as I see it between stewardship theology and prosperity theology. It's not how much of my money I give to God, but it's how much of God's money I dare to keep back for myself. For everything belongs to him. My dear friend, the very next breath you and I draw is given to us by God. What do we mean I own this? 
So we believe and teach the generosity doctrine. The Lord Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Generosity doctrine. There are at least two scriptural reasons for saving money. Now you notice we don't give lessons on how to spend money. Hello. Most of us in the West are in debt, not because we don't earn enough, but because we spend too much. Hard couple of reasons from scripture for saving money. Number one, so we can live debt free. Understand what it is to be, no experience what it is for debt free living. You got the references there. And two, so our giving then can be from our abundance. We don't have to squeeze water out of a stone from our abundance. Did you know about 30% of church attendees just give nothing? It's just a habit. They just give nothing. Oh, they, the others are there. They'll carry the load. I pray we're not counted in that. Now here's 16 points called practical steps to debt-free living. Yes, we live in Australia now and operate in the Asia Pacific. But the Lord brought me to these United States, to Pennsylvania, to Lancaster County. And I lived in a place called Leola. We bought our first starter home from Holly Drive, Forest Hills Development in Leola. It still stands today. It's been sold a long time ago. And that was the first time in my entire life I got into debt with a mortgage. I'm not saying you can't have a mortgage. Most of us don't have the money to buy a house outright, right? And these 16 points is what the Lord showed my wife and I and what we implemented to become debt-free. I'll just say this to you to get your attention, which is for real. In five years and five months, we paid off our mortgage. Even Holly Drive, Leola, PA, 17540. And when I say we were debt-free... Listen closely. That means that when I have never, never is a very strong word. I teach people not to use it unless they absolutely know what they're talking about. I have never known a credit card debt in my whole life. So I said, if you don't have control of it, I'll cut up your cards for you. Happily. Get ready for the next one. I have never had a car payment in my whole life. I started with a $600 car and my high school students at the former Living Word Academy used to laugh at my car with the rust on the sides. But you know, we have an old expression in English. He who laughs last, laughs best. The only debt I ever had was that mortgage. I was so determined. These are the 16 points as to how God enabled us. Make sure you give him the glory and the credit every time in everything. So follow me now. Number one. Underspend. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? Underspend. Doesn't matter what you're earning. Spend less than you earn. Two, we used to eat out infrequently. Literally, once in like 10 days or so at some fancy place like Wendy's or Burger King or McDonald's. We were in debt. I had a mortgage to pay. If I couldn't make that mortgage for the bank, would have foreclosed on me. Three, we took a bag lunch to work. If my wife didn't do it, I did it. Part of the reason we don't do that regularly is a lack of discipline. A lack of personal self-discipline. We want to stay on the couch, watch our cable TV, which of course we always have money for that bill. Hello. I've been to the poorest third world countries, Pastor Steve. They will cry poverty. And in the third world even I challenge them. 
I said, I come to your house, I will see you've got cable TV and you've got a DVD player. You've got your priorities, don't you? They are silent. When it comes to the house of God, they cry poverty. Bag lunch. We just want to sit on a recliner, watch cable TV, watch the Monday night football game, Friday night boxing, whatever your tastes are, you know. And we fall asleep there basically so late so that we don't have time to even put our lunch together. We rush to work the next morning and we go and go to the junk machine and buy chips and coke which will make us overweight and hyper. And that eats a hole into your wallet day after day after day. Take a bag lunch to work. Number four, believe it or not, that same house address, we never had a TV. We never had a TV. I do have one now. But my desire for it is highly diminished. Because if you've got a postage stamp size lawn, you're better off with the Amish pushmower, you know. Seriously. And for crying out loud, please, if you've got a postage stamp size lawn, you don't need a leaf vac. Oh, Sears, Walmart, having the sale. It ends this Saturday midnight. I must go. No, you don't need it. My Bible, your Bible, our Bible says, this is one of the most misapplied scriptures. Philippians 4.9, my God shall supply all my needs, not my lusts, my wants, my desires, my pleasures. He has supplied my needs. I don't need stuff. I have more than I need. Stop giving me things. Just expand the kingdom of God. I'm not yelling. I'm just passionate. Are you with me? No, in case you think he's mad. No. Cut that TV out. That urge to spurge will be gone. I remember watching an Eagles-Dolphins game here at the Leola Apartments with friends. and uh, Because he had TV, you see. He said, come on, watch this. you got to watch. He was a Dolphins fan. you got to watch the game. I'm thinking, okay. And then the Halftime, there was an ad for Big Mac at McDonald's. Jim said, Mary, to his wife, I gotta have a Big Mac now. He jumped his little Plymouth Horizon, went down the McDonald's, came back. <laughs> I thought, what a lack of self-discipline. Pitch the whole TV out, my friend, if you're that willy-nilly and weak-kneed and nebby-pemby. I worked a second job. Wanna know where? I was one of the actors in the premiere cast of Behold the Lamb at Sight and Sound before they built the new Millennium Theater. Ask Glenn and Shirley Eshelman. Till today, they bless our ministry from time to time. I couldn't be more pointed than I can be in this area, Pastor Steve. And you know where else I worked? Summers. I was teaching at Living Word Academy. I could have been a couch potato every summer because my paycheck was coming in regardless, right? Through the summer. A friend gave me a pair of steel tip boots and he gave me another tip. He said, yellow freight is hiring casual work. And here was me, a teacher, you know, with magic markers, going and pushing dollies and moving freight from truck to truck. I'm proud to say I worked there. 14 bucks an hour casual was gravy money then, Pastor Steve, in the summer. Do you know how we got out of debt and paid off the mortgage now? Instead, there are able-bodied people in this country Walking into welfare offices, picking up checks. You understand why our government is in debt? I let out a second session point here. The only entitlement program in my Bible is found in 
Second Thessalonians 3.10, it says, If a man does not work, he shall not eat. The word of God entitles us to starve if we do not work. Yes, I have a heart of compassion for wounded war veterans. And for a mom with kids whose husband has done the dirty on her. I'm not including women who have nine children by seven fathers. There's a place for compassionate conservatism. Just in case you didn't know how to vote, make sure you vote right. And I'm a first-generation migrant. I came here with $500 in my pocket. When I first saw my first paycheck, Pastor Steve, I saw something called Social Security. I said, what is that? They said, it's when you retire. I was insulted. How dare you say you will take care of me when I retire? I don't need your help. Stay out of my life. But we have become an entitlement minded nation uh, I was really passionate about that I worked a second job third job but make sure you don't work on Sundays hey, you? come to church at least Sunday morning or if not if you have a different service come for that six frugality plus practicality example ask yourself be frugal you don't need to be wasteful do I really need this does it serve more than one purpose we covered that already with Philippians 4.97. Patience. Patience. Don't just jump out and... You know, this phrase, shop till you drop, is a disgusting phrase. Makes me want to puke. There are people who are... And children who are dying of starvation. And we have a phrase called shop till you drop. That is a sick mindset, my friends. I pray we are not sucked into that. Patience. If you don't have the money, do without it. I want to give you a real life example. All of this is real life. Now this, you heard about my part of my life in Leola. Let me share a little bit about India before I came here. I'd finished my science degree. Two weeks after my degree, I was hired to teach at my alma mater. Ranked number two in a country of one billion people. Highly elite school. How could I afford to go there? I couldn't. I was on a full scholarship. Now, I was hired to teach there. I needed to get from home to work. Had to use a bus. If I didn't get the right bus, I'd have to use two buses. No, a direct bus, I'd have to use two. I was all, I had to wear a suit. Why do you think I rebel nowadays? I hardly ever wear a suit. Suit, suited, tie, and I'm waiting at the bus stop. And you know what? In a country of such population, the infrastructure is poor. You don't have enough buses. The bus is already overcrowded to where the springs are weighted down with people standing on the running boards. And if you're the bus driver, you have a dilemma on your hands. Because if you stop at the bus stop, about five people want to get out and 35 people want to get in. What are you going to do? I don't blame the bus driver. So he would either stop like about a third of a mile before the bus stop or a third of a mile after the bus stop. He had to mix it up because if we always stop before the bus stop, we'll all be standing there, right? And most of the people were middle-aged like me at that time. But then I was 19. And I'm looking from the bus stop. Is he slowing down or speeding up? Today he's speeding up. Zoom! I'm running! On the road to nowhere! Because I know he's not stopping here and the rest of the middle-aged people are just stuck waiting for the public transport just to go to work. We have cars. Hello. I hope you've been a little convicted at least by now. I was running. And they thought there's this lunatic young fellow running off 
boot, suit, everything. And you know, he would stop ahead of me. He would unload the few passengers and take off. But I had the momentum. And I would catch the railing and my boots, bang, bang, on the footboard. And the bus driver would have thought that lunatic did it again. I literally risked my neck to go to work. Send those welfare people to hear me teach. It's the grace of God I didn't break my neck. I want to prove to you that I'm a former professional person who used to jump on running buses. Suppose you're wearing flip-flops and you jump on a running bus and in the process one of the flip-flops falls down. What are you going to do? Don't ever jump off the bus, you break your head. Quick, kick off the other one. Whoever gets one gets the pair. Okay. So, so you learn in those countries, you don't stand at the bus stop. You must be where the bus stops. I said, patience. I could have got a loan. And in those countries, the interest rate is very high, like 17% and stuff. A loan for a two-wheeler. Forget about a car. And I'd have been in debt. And the kind of paycheck I was getting would have been a long, long time. So patience. I waited. I saved. I used the bus, which is much cheaper. And finally, I was 19 when I got the job as a teacher. I was 21, Pastor Steve. I saved money to buy a brand new two-wheeler. And suddenly the girls wanted me to take him out. That's a little perk. Patience. If you don't have the money, do without it. But in these United States and Australia and Europe, we have a certain attitude. It's called, I want what I want when I want it. I call that attitude stinking, thinking I refuse to pray for you after the service if you want to retain that method of thinking. Repent, I'll pray with you. Repent means 180 degrees, turn around. Patience. Wear your clothes, number eight, and wear them well. Oh no, I must have a blue dress with a blue shoes to match and a blue handbag and a blue brooch. Listen, I understand, ladies. And by the way, the guys, some of them must only wear Calvin Klein jeans and Nike sneakers. Really? Is that what makes the man? Matter of fact, you went down in my estimate if that's what you think makes you look cool. I could care less. Seriously, I'm the kind of guy who doesn't care what car you drive. My Bible says that God told Samuel, I do not look at the outward part. I do not see as man sees. I look at the heart. If I see your heart's in the right place, and if you're an exhorter, encourager, we can be friends. Who cares? I mean, I'm happy if you got a nice car. Don't get me wrong. But if you're up to your eyeballs on death, you ain't fooling nobody but yourself. So wear your clothes and wear them well. What's wrong with mix and match? Number nine, we purchased a used car right here. I told you $600, 1975 Plymouth Valiant. I'll tell you something about those cars. If there was ever an accident, there was more metal between me and thee. Okay. <laughs> but it went. It took me there. It brought me back. I still remember Christian school, high school boys. One time sniggering at my car. Old car with rust on the side. So Mr. T. They used to call him Mr. T. Nice kids. You know, kids are kids. They looked at the car and said, so where do you live? They expected me to say the seventh ward. And you know, being real, I said, well, I have a house in Forest. Oh, it, it, the blue fuse for them. Dear friend, a car goes down, it depreciates in value. A house appreciates in value. Hello. 
use only one car if possible. My wife worked in downtown Lancaster, the library. And I worked as a teacher at Living Word Academy. We were 1.1 mile from the church. So I got myself a bicycle. Even in the wintertime, I bundled up and rode to work. And I let my wife drive the car to the parking lot near Duke Street in Lancaster. So I said, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. I know that. Yes. So why did I need to buy a second car for one mile? Oh, I could never do that. Not in the wintertime. Well, I survived and I came from tropical country. Hello. What's your excuse? You should do it with just a flannel shirt. 11. Share tools. You would you believe it? Some of you may know the name of this gentleman. He was my diagonally opposite neighbor. He approached me and said, now that you've bought a house, you have a lawn, you need to have a mower. But I've got a mower. I mean, this is just the hand of God in my life. He said, you're welcome to share our mower. I'll give you a key to the garage. But once a year, we just split the cost for gasoline and for the sharpening of the blades and maintenance. I said, sure. I never owned a mower here. Believe it's like a rip, please believe it or not. But we split the bills. We had tremendous trust. Just, this is just stuff that happened in our lives. Number 12, use a tax refund to make extra principal payments. This is one of the most heavy points I could point out here. Demand from your banker. First of all, do your best to make sure it's a fixed rate mortgage. 30 years, 20. We had a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And that it was, those were the bad old days. You know what the rate was? 12.09%. Those are the bad old days. I buy now, my friend, if you haven't already. <laughs> 12 points. And then, after a few years, the rates dropped. And we refinanced. We're so happy. 9.25%. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And we still paid it off. In five years, and five months. But demand from your banker an amortization schedule. Or you may be able to do it online even. If it's a fixed rate. So you know for those 360 months. And when we refinanced at nine and a quarter, we did it for 15 years. And so altogether we took five years. What you do is this. Very simple. Let's say your first month's payment. Just say your monthly payment's $1,000 just to make it even. When you make every month, you've got to pay that $1,000, right? For the first month, about $5 is principal. $995 is interest. If nothing else, that should get you mad. And if you didn't know this, I don't blame your banker. If you're a Christian real estate agent, share this with every client that you have. Why would you think the banker's going to explain this to you? He wants to make money, right? $5. Second month, maybe $7 is principal. 993 is interest. Can you see how, pardon my expression, the corporate fat cats are taking you for a ride? When I understood this, every month I've paid a thousand, actually it was about 650 in those days. You know, in those days the cost of the house is lower. 650, oh, just keep that thousand. So I'd pay 1,000 and then I'd take the next six months worth of principal, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, add them up and put a separate, separate check called additional principal payments numbers two through six in the first month's payment. You follow me? So it's $1,000 plus another $32 or whatever for the additional principal. That means in month two, I pay payment number seven, which is $1,000 and then eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, just the principal. 
That's the way you blow your mortgage out of the water. Do it and send me an email and say, Brother Andrew, I've done it. Praise God. Here's my praise report and testimony to you. And you know what many agents will tell you? Oh, one of the biggest selling points. And nothing, nothing wrong if you're a real estate agent. That's God bless you for that. But hey, the interest is tax deductible. I am saying to you authoritatively, blow that mortgage out of the water and then you can put that same money that is going into the pockets of some corporate fat cat into the body of Christ, into the church of Jesus Christ and it's still tax deductible. Hello! Oh, I didn't think about that. 12. Vacation in off-season at desirable locations. Ever been to Niagara Falls 4th of July weekend? It's bumper to bumper and the motels also charge you double the rate. Try to go off-season, get half price, a little cool, but bundle up. Number 14, try Mennoniting. Now, we understand that phrase here. You know I spent time here. (laughs) You can travel, but stay with friends. However, if you do that, you better be hospitable yourself. Don't be a user. And here's a good quote from our American elder statesman, Ben Franklin. Don't overstay your welcome, okay? He said, and I quote, Fish and relatives, after three days stinketh. So move on, move on. Okay, don't overstay. And if you can't afford it, stay in a reasonable motel. You can do all that online. 15. Put as much as you can towards extra principal early in the mortgage. The reason I say early is because early in the mortgage, that principal amount is small. Later in the mortgage, it gets much heavier. And you'll come down to maybe making two months extra principal payment. I remember one time my mom came to visit from overseas and it was Christmas. I skipped Two whole months not making any additional principle. I felt terrible about it. It had become a pattern. I was determined to blow that thing out. And number 16, you must have a goal. You've got to have a vision. I am going to be debt free. The Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. We had a rental apartment here in Leola before we bought that house. And I remember the night we signed the documents with the agent coming to the house. That night he left happy and I couldn't sleep. Because suddenly, for the first time in my whole life, I was in debt. I felt like there was a noose around my neck. And I know they have nice terms. They call it buyer's remorse and all of that stuff. But I thought, what if I lose my job? I can't make the payments. What's going to happen? And you know, I was pacing up and down a one-bedroom apartment here in Leola. And then I came to my wife. She was, I I had the responsibility. I said, listen to these words. I said, I did not come from the poorest country in the world to the richest country in the world, only to get into debt. I said, the average American dream, you marry about 25, you get a 30-year mortgage. Are you tracking with me? You pay it off each month without doing anything unique. How old are you when you paid off your mortgage? 55? And that, that's my age, actually, right now. And then you get like a camper caravan or trailer or whatever, and you go to Mount Rushmore and all these places. This average American dream, man, that's all fine. But the point is, and I used to say it when I was younger, now I am 55. I said, life doesn't have to begin at 55. And then I said to my wife, by the time I am 35, I will not take you across these United States. I will take you anywhere on planet Earth. I spoke those words to my wife in the apartment, one-bedroom apartment in Leola, Pennsylvania. 
when I was 33, I drove into downtown Lancaster, the then Penn Savings Bank. Made my final payment of just over $5,000 after scraping together, working at Yellow Freight, etc. You get the point? Not by watching cable TV. And it was a dull, overcast day. And when I came out, the title was in my head. I owned the house. Do you know the meaning of the word owned now? Yes, it was gray skies. But for Andrew Taylor, it was clear blue. And I came home and I said to my wife at Holly Drive, Babe, where would you like to go for dinner tonight? It's a true story, my friend. I pray you are encouraged and challenged by this. It's absolutely true right in your backyard. Because our God is, don't, you hear stories about someone saying the miracles took place in Timbuktu? Don't, I don't want to hear it. That's why I don't listen to many TV preachers. If it happened there, it should happen here. And give me no excuses. Our God is an unchanging God. He is a ubiquitous, omnipresent God. He does the same thing everywhere. So don't tell me what happened in Timbuktu. Tell me what happened here. And anyway, they say, if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. Instead, we take over what they're exporting for us, and it doesn't happen at home. Jesus spoke more about finances and stewardship than he did about heaven and hell put together, by the way. Watch this now. And this is a good place to tie this together for the session. There's the words tithe and tithes in the old King James occur 40 times in 33 verses. 40 times in 33 verses. Now, this gentleman who played the keyboard, sir, what's your name? Howard. Howard and Phil, may I request you both? I need two male models here. So if I may request you both to come up here. This is the finale for session one. Now, while we have these models here, this, I've picked out just four verses out of the 40 that have the words tithe and tithes in them. The first is Leviticus 27.31. If a man will redeem all of his tithe, he should add therefore the fifth part thereof. What it's saying is, if I have stolen or robbed God of the tithes, you need to return it with at least 20% extra. Oh, more. Look at those looks I'm getting from some people. Luke 18.12. Remember the Pharisee, how he thumped us, just Pharisee and the publican? The poor guy, he said, Lord, be merciful to me. But the Pharisee thumped his chest. Luke 18, 12. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. My dear friend, if you thought you were doing God a favor by giving him some handouts, you have a Pharisaic attitude. You never give your tithes. You pay your tithes. I'll give you scripture to back it. By the way, let's just pick on McDonald's for a, for a moment. You go to McDonald's or you go to a restaurant and have a steak. You think, I wonder how much I should give them. You need to see a psychologist. <laughs> Hello? They will tell you and you will jolly well pay the bill. Plus they expect another 15% tip on top of that. Our society is such that even in my cell phone I have a tip calculator. I wonder how much I should give. That's a pharisaical attitude. What do you mean you give? The very next breath we draw is given to us by God. See the attitude of the Pharisee. And then Hebrews 7, 9 to prove my point about paying tithes. As I may so say, Levi also who received tithes 
paid tithes in Abraham. You pay your tithes. I'll give you another verse for paying. Now I have the two gentlemen here. Look at Luke 11.42. The Lord Jesus, now let's imagine, we're only dramatizing. Let's pretend this is sight and sound and you are the scribes and Pharisees. Okay, so I'm not mad with you. You're just pretend, we're pretending you're the bad guys. All right, scribes and Pharisees. And the Lord Jesus is directly addressing them. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. In fact, Luke 11, 42 is the same almost as Matthew 23, 23. So look at Matthew 23, 20. Woe unto you, the Lord Jesus is railing at the Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Because I, I know you pay tithes. By the way, he said pay. The Lord Jesus said pay. Hello, can you say pay with me? Pay. Never said give. The Lord. For yes, I know you dudes pay tithes, even down to the last leaf of mint herbs in your garden. So that's what he says. For you pay tithes of mint, anise, and cumin. But... You have omitted, left out the weightier matters. What the Lord is saying is, I know you pay tithe of mint, anise and cumin. You're very diligent in that. And you pay it, good. These things, but you've left out the weightier matters of the Lord, justice, mercy, faith. Weightier, look at this guy. (laughs) Now the Lord Jesus says, these things, that's the paying of tithe, you ought to have done. Yes, good job. But you should not have omitted. You should not have left out justice, mercy, faith, peace, grace, love. Now, let's press the fast forward button. We're stopping now. Make sure you get this point. Fast forward to the 21st century postmodern church. Now you're not the scribes and Pharisees anymore. You're not the bad guys. You're you and I'm me. I submit to you. Woe unto us, 21st century church. For we want our pastors to preach on love, mercy, justice, faith, and peace, and love. But we've omitted paying our tithes. Yes, we need preaching on love, justice, mercy, faith, and peace. But we should never have stopped paying our tithes. So we are equally a bunch of hypocrites. But I do love you. Pastor Steve, back to you. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Mm -hmm.